while our choir's coming down and children's church is gathering over to my left. We invite all of our young'uns that like to go to children's church over to the left at the Welcome Center. You're right. And uh, they'll wait for you, so don't worry about being uh, left. They'll wait for you to do that. What's that? Yeah, I ain't, I ain't forgot you, Keith. You would not believe what all I've got on this hard drive here. <laughs> Amen. Amen. While they're still coming down, you can go ahead and turn your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. song the choir just sang called the hymn of heaven is makes me think a whole lot what it's going to be like in revelation chapter 5 where we're standing around the throne an innumerable number of saints singing worthy is the lamb amen singing over and over and over you know i i get folks sometimes and even friends of mine they'll ask me say brent y'all sing that 7-eleven music at your church I said, what are you talking about? They said uh, seven lines, 11 times, and they'd laugh and make fun of it and all that. And I said, well, if those seven lines glorify Jesus, I'll sing them 11 times. And I said, and I just want you to know if you're a child of God, you, you're going to get you a good old dose of 7-Eleven music, Revelation chapter 5, because you're going to sing worthy is the Lamb over and 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 over, right? You know why? Because he's worthy. And if you really believe he's worthy, it don't matter to you. It doesn't matter to you. But you know, a few weeks ago, we started the service here right before the preaching, this little chorus. And I just really felt compelled to do that again today. It always reminds me, because see, when I walk to this desk, you say, it's just a wooden desk, it's no big deal. Well, there's nothing holy about the wood, nothing holy about the platform, but there's something very holy about this word that I hold in my hand, and I'm about to handle the two most important things under heaven to God, that's his word and his people, and I don't want you to ever forget that. When I leave this world before you, I want you to remember that about me, is that when I came to this place and came to this time, it was, it, was, it was all business. And we have fun and we laugh some. That's okay. I believe, I believe God enjoys joy and merry hearts. He, I believe he said the scripture does good like medicine. But when we handle God's word and God's people, it's a very serious time. And as God's people, we are standing on holy ground, aren't we? I've got a brother, brother friend, my friend Kelly Burris, pastors up Kempsville, Virginia. Uh, and, and when he preaches, he takes his shoes off. I mean, he really does. He, he's been preaching a hundred years and he, he's preached for me before in churches I pastored. He literally takes his shoes off. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all why I don't do that. I'm a large person. Large people perspire. Right? He's a real skinny guy, so he can probably get away with it. But if I took off my shoes, we'd have to evacuate the building, okay? No. Moses, he, he got barefooted before the burning bush. That's what enabled him to stand before Pharaoh. 
tonight, I mean, excuse me, this morning, we're talking about something very important from Revelation 2. And I believe, church, in this series, Lord willing, unless he changes my mind, each time I walk to this pulpit during this series, we're, we're going to sing this chorus. Because I really believe that's where the church has really lost the focus, is we forgot that we're on holy ground. Would you stand with me? Let's sing this chorus together. We are standing on holy ground. Yes, we are. And I know that there are angels all around. Let us pray. One more time, ready? you're standing if you don't have your Bible with you just look to the screen the word will be on the screen Revelation chapter 2 beginning with verse 1 notice what the word of God says to the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give him give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, in Jesus' name, 
I bow my head and my heart humbly before you today and just want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for how it challenges me and how your indwelling spirit changes me. God, may your word move mightily among us today. May we be drawn into right relationship and fellowship with you. And may the Son of God be glorified through the proclamation of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I'm sure you remember from last week, at least I hope so, as we talked in the overview of these churches that there are seven churches we will look at over the next seven weeks now, Lord willing. And over those weeks, we will take one church a week, Lord willing as well, and realize that even though these were literal congregations in what is today modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor of that day, these messages that the Holy Spirit spoke into the heart of John the Revelator as he was exiled to the island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea in his 90s, well into his 90s, probably felt as though even though he had walked with Jesus, faithfully served and had been a pastor and leader and a great apostle, one described in the scriptures as the one whom Jesus loved. In these latter years, he probably felt as though here I am on this island, I've been exiled and they're just going to put me out to pasture and let me die. Well, that wasn't true because God was about to use him for his greatest work. The Gospel of John is a wonderful, wonderful gospel that he wrote on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that really shows us who Jesus is as the Son of God. The three letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you probably know them well. We spent some time in 2nd and 3rd John recently, but 1st John really writes to us about knowing who we are in Christ and knowing the security eternally of the salvation that we enjoy in Him. But the book of the Revelation is a book where he begins to reveal the last things. There's a fancy word I learned in the seminary called eschatology. I paid a lot of money to learn how to pronounce that word, right? Eschatology, and that is basically means the study of, I learned this at Cleveland County High School, ology means the study of, look at there. Right there, right there. My mom and daddy bought a lot of lunch money for me to learn that, right? Again, it means the study of, and esca means last things, so it is the study of last things. The book of the Revelation is our book of prophecy in our New Testament that helps us with that. But as we study these last things, we must look at how the church fits into that. Just by way of introduction here before we dive in, there's a few things I want you to notice in verse 1 as he writes to the church at Ephesus, a city of about 300,000 people. Notice that the scripture says, he begins to talk about he who holds the seven stars. This is going to be on your screen. When he talks about the seven stars, that is to remind you that he is speaking of the uh, presbyteros, the elder, the pastor, or the messenger to the church and he says this about them he holds them in his hand here's what that literally means it means the Lord holds your pastor or your messenger in his hand while he serves in the church I have always believed this and I've said it before and I'll remind you 
that a church is a gift to a pastor. It is a body of believers that a pastor is given the wonderful privilege to serve alongside, to minister to, to shepherd, and to help instruct in the ways of righteousness. It's a wonderful gift for a man who has been called to the pastorate to be able to pastor God's people. But just as much as the church is a pastor, uh, a gift to the pastor, the pastor is a gift to the church. And I've often joked about and said to y'all, I'm sure somebody's saying, I hope somebody kept the receipt, we'd like our money back. But anyhow, no, 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 listen. In all truth and fairness, a pastor is a gift to a church because here's the way it's got to work. God gives the church to the pastor so he can exercise his calling and gifts and he gives the, the church a pastor so somebody will blaze a trail and lead them into the ways of righteousness and help them grow to full spiritual maturity. That's what it's really all about. Amen? So we're all a gift to each other. Amen? You go home today, so what'd you learn in church today? Said our preacher thinks he's a Christmas present. But anyhow... No, 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 we understand that we both have our place, our role, and our calling, and that's it. And why does the Lord hold your pastor in his hands? He does this for two reasons. This is not on the screen, but you might want to write it down. He does it to hold the pastor accountable, accountability, and the accountability is to God. You know, one day, this is a scary thing. One day I will stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and I will give an account for everything I've done, said, as a Christian and as a pastor and the preaching that I am responsible for. <laughs> Warren Wiersbe wrote in his book, Real Worship, he said, Lord, I know you can forgive my sins, but can you ever forgive my sermons? Amen. It really is. Some people think, you know, it's no big deal. It's a real big deal. There was a young man who went to Charles Spurgeon once. He said, Brother Spurgeon, you have thousands of people come to hear you preach. I, I don't know. We just have a small number comes to our church, and I just don't know if I'm doing well or if I'm doing my job or something's wrong with me. What is it? He said, well, how many do you have coming, son? He said, well, there's about 100. He said, that's enough to be accountable for in judgment. Amen? Wow. So we will be held accountable, but he also does it for admonishment. He reproves and rebukes and he shapes and refines the pastor into the image of his son to make him be more like Jesus. And I tell you what, you may go home today and say, oh boy, he's rough around the edges. He's got, I tell you what, I am a little rough around the edges, but I'm a whole lot more polished than I was 30 years ago, amen? Thank God. And those poor people that started with me 30 years ago, they're in heaven right now saying, God, what did we do to deserve that? But anyhow, no, he does these things for his purpose. Now, there's a second thing I want you to notice by way of introduction. He not only talks about he holds the seven stars, but he says it's he who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. You need to get this, okay? When he talks about the seven golden lampstands, that is a representation of the seven churches. Now, here's what I do know about when it talks about him walking in the midst of the churches three things one is that Jesus is alive and well in his church you believe that Jesus now look here somebody said the devil's alive and well roaring look the devil is alive but he ain't well he's real sick his time is drawing nigh he knows his time the devil is alive 
He is roaring to and fro as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He has his little demons at work all around the world trying to bring havoc to the church and anybody who walks with God. Yes, he does. He is alive, but he ain't well. Jesus is alive and he's well. How do you know that, preacher? Well, I read it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That means he's well. Amen? I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Jesus is alive and well in his church. But notice the second thing. Not only is he alive and well in his church, but he is active and walking in his church. There was a song years ago, Marty, you might have heard it. By, you ever heard of this guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman? Ring a bell? Ring a bell? Okay, good. Y'all might have heard of a guy named Stephen Curtis Chapman guitar guy man this great songwriter and God's used him greatly he wrote this song years ago called the fingerprints of God anybody remember that song I love that song when my children were little when this song came out and I remember riding in the truck with both my girls one day and that song came on the radio and I remember stopping in my driveway at the pastorium there in Waco years ago and I said God please Help me to make sure that everything I do as their daddy would make sure that your fingerprints are all over them. See, Jesus is not just alive and well in his church, but he's active and walking in his church. I just love it when God shows up in power and great glory and worship, don't you? I really do. I mean, there are some places, if he showed up, they wouldn't recognize him. <laughs> I don't want that to be us because here's the deal about worship. Yes, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. God is present within us, but he is not always welcomed among us. He's not welcomed among us when we bring our junk and we bring all of our gripes and all of our gossip and all of these things to the place of worship. He is not welcomed. It, it is a reproach to him. Oh, but friend, when we come in repentance, when we come with broken hearts and broken spirits, when we come broken over our sin and ourselves, and we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of him, he is welcomed among us. And he's alive and walking in his church. So he's alive and well, he's active and walking, but there's a third thing. He's also very alert and watchful in his church. <laughs> When I say he's alert and watchful, I want you to know what I mean. I mean that it is the all-seeing, all-probing, eyes and hands of God that examines and measures our love. He examines our hearts and he evaluates our motives. How deep is your love for your brethren? How clean is your heart before a holy God and how clear are your motives for the service that you do for the Lord ladies and gentlemen I'll never forget I had this guy one time as a Sunday school teacher years ago good guy and I remember you know I was just sitting down he told me what class he taught and I said well tell me I said well you know what brought you to that class why are you there he said that's what he told me he said because the Sunday school director 10 years ago told me go in that class read this do this do that you're the teacher I said so you're there because you were told to or did you feel a calling to that 
Are y'all with me? See, a lot of people do things because they're told to or whatever, but what you need from God is, is you need a calling on your life and a place of service, and you need to chase God's heart with all of yours. But you say, well, you know what? I just really like to sit in the back light. I really don't want to be. No, 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 hear me. It doesn't matter. Though every place of service is important, but wherever God has placed you, make sure that it is God who placed you and you're doing it with all your heart. He measures our love, examines our heart, and evaluates our motives. He's alert and watchful in his church. Well, that brings us to talking about what I told you would be our format through this study. I told you there were four things that the Lord said when he spoke to his churches and most all of them he began with a word of commendation and he does here to the Ephesian church. Notice what he says. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You can't bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and not. You persevered, have patience, have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. That sounds like a place I'd like to join up, wouldn't you? Don't that sound like a good First Baptist Church of Ephesus? For those of you who are not Baptists, do the best you can. But anyhow, I mean, just kidding. Would y'all loosen up a little bit out there, okay? I'll just loosen up. Now stay with me. No. He begins with a current word of commendation in verses 2 and 3. And man, this sounds like a stellar church, does it? And the, truthfully, it's not a bad church. But here's what he begins talking to them about. Here's the first thing he talks about. He commends them for their evidence of faith. I really believe if you know Jesus, the life of Jesus will show forth from your life. You will not be able to continue as you were if you really met Jesus, he changed your life. You cannot continue the same. There will be evidence of faith. Well, let's walk through and talk about that. The first thing he talks about their evidence of faith is their works and labor. Now, I want you to take a little field trip with me. I don't ask y'all to do this much, but you need to. Just go a few pages back to your left to James chapter 2 few pages back to your left to James chapter 2. Hebrews, James, Peter, Peter, John, 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 Jude, Revelation, right? So just a little bit back to your left to James chapter 2. <laughs> and if you would find verse 14, because we need to understand what he talks about in the church when he's dis discussing works and labor. James chapter 2 verse 14 says this, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, it is dead. Someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do, you want, but do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Now walk with me for a second. Evidence of faith was being shown through their works and labor. I know a lot of people in the world, even in the Bible Belt, that are trying to get to heaven based on doing good things. We work and serve in Mormon country out in Utah, and that's a works-based religion. It's 
Man's attempt to get to God, not realizing God came down to man through a relationship of Jesus Christ. It's not Christianity. It's just some religious setup that is false and leading people astray. And many will go and spend eternity in hell because they believe the lie. I don't know if that breaks your heart, but it breaks mine. But the works and labor that he talks about is he's talking about what was going on in the church, that they were people who were active, which is good. But I want you to know activity in and of itself does not translate into godliness. You can go to a church that has the most full calendar under the sun. That does not mean it is full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Doesn't mean that at all. But when we look at James's writing, which is one of the most practical books in your New Testament, written by the half-brother of our Lord, who did not become a believer until after the resurrection, James is saying this. He's saying, look here. A lot of people are saying, I'll tell you what I'll do, and you can see it right there in verse 18. He says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, but I will show you my faith by my works. Here's what James is saying. Some people were believing that James was preaching a works-based salvation, but nothing could be further from the truth. He was not saying that you work in order to be saved, but as a child of God who is saved, you do work for the glory of God and with God and with God's people because you are, because you are saved and not to get saved. It's important. So what was the church at Ephesus doing? This church was working together in labor for God because they had been born again. They had been washed in the blood. They had repented of their sins. They had been forgiven. And their works was not in order to get saved. They were working because they couldn't get over what Jesus did for them on the cross. It was a church that was showing evidence of faith. Not only works of faith, but he also said they had patience. <laughs> a lady told me the other day when we had, was out here to drive through breakfast at Carolyn Oaks for the teachers day before school started. And we asked one of the, we asked every teacher, come by, how can we pray for you? And one, one of the teachers said, uh, y'all can pray for me to have patience. I said, Lord God, I don't want to think of how he'll teach you that, ma'am. <laughs> I said, maybe we'll pray for something else, right? But you know what patience does? Patience gives evidence of the indwelling presence of God through the Holy Spirit. You and I, by ourselves, given and left to ourselves, would all be impatient. Some of you are more patient than others. Some of you have zero patience. Some of you have a lot of patience, and a lot of us are somewhere in between. But when we demonstrate patience, we demonstrate the fact that there's evidence that we have been indwelt with the Spirit of God. Amen? So there's works of labor, there's patience, but there's another thing that was their evidence of faith, and that was also their commitment to doctrinal integrity. Now, church, I want to tell you, this ain't popular stuff anymore. We were talking this morning in the prayer room how it's almost impossible now somebody comes to work at a company and you can't tell them they did something wrong. You got to coddle them and pet them because there's nobody going to take their place. And no, I mean, there's just... I mean, you, you can't use, you know, words like wrong and, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I thought my name till I was three years old, I thought my name was Ant. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what my name, every time I, somebody looked at me, Ant, Ant. Nobody was worried about my fragile psyche. <laughs> Maybe. I bet your mom and daddy wouldn't do. That's why you're laughing. Somebody like that mean preacher. Man. 
this is not popular when you talk about a commitment to doctrinal integrity because so many places and even in what used to be our more conservative denominations are saying now, let's don't focus too much on doctrine. It's boring and it's driving people away. Hmm. Well, here's what he said about them. He said, you can't bear those who do evil. Here's what he's saying. Because the indwelling spirit of God's within you, you cannot accept and you must reject evil when it tries to infiltrate the people in the house of God. And then he says this. Here's something y'all did. It's good. Y'all tested these folks. Y'all tested those who said they're apostles and they're not. I had a guy showed up at my door one time years ago and I lived in the pastorium and he told me he was Apostle Raul. I said, well, hello, Raul. He said, I'm an apostle. I said, no, you're just Raul. He says, no, you're going to... He said, he, he, this is what happened in a little community. People would stop at the store. It was across the street from the church. They said, I need to see the preacher. He lives right down yonder. And they'd send them to me, Ray. Apostle Raul. So Apostle Raul showed up. I said, no, you're just apostle. I said, you haven't seen Jesus face to face. Oh, yes, I have. I said, no, you haven't. And he just kept on, and he, he said all these different things that qualified him to be. He was not qualified to be an apostle. He was someone who was very confused, is the nice thing. And, and not only that, had very little commitment to doctrinal integrity. Here's what he said. He said these people said, you rejected evil, you tested false doctrine. You know what some people say? Don't try to test what I believe, just accept it because I said it. But hear me. I want you to know today, hear this preacher. Everything I'm saying to you from this pulpit, I invite you to test it with the Word of God. 100%. You know why? Because Adrian Rogers said, a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I'm not afraid for you to, to examine. I'm not afraid for you to test. I'm not afraid of these things. Why? Because I am confident that it is integrity found in the Word of God and it can be backed up with the Word of God. But we live in a culture that says, don't judge me. But listen to me, young people. If you don't make judgments about right and wrong in your life, you will find yourself in a mess. Mom and Daddy, am I right? Grandma and Grandpa, am I right? Look here, you have to make judgments. Do not be a follower. Do not follow the crowd. Don't follow the wanderers. Don't do what everybody else is doing because it's cool. None of that kind of stuff. I took last night at Gridiron Night, I said to our young people and said to everyone in attendance, I have been praying for young people in our schools, in our classrooms, in our student body, among our athletes, and among every club and thing that comes along, that there would be young people who would rise up and say, I will stand for Jesus Christ. I will not compromise who I am. I will not compromise my personal integrity and things of that nature. I will walk with God and I will not be afraid of you making fun of me or any of that kind of stuff. I'm going to walk with God because that's all that's going to matter when this life's over. And listen to me, and if you will make that commitment, others will follow with you. I really believe that. A commitment to doctrinal integrity. Well, notice another thing. Not only were they commended for this, they were commended for their enduring focus. And there's a bad typo here, and this is my fault. This is not Miss Carla's fault. I sent her the wrong word. But it's enduring, not insuring, because that's not how you spell insurance. That's how you spell insure for the little drink you drink, you know, that gives you vitamins and nutrients. But uh, no, no, it's e e enduring focus. How were they focused? Now stay with me there. Look at verse 3. You persevered and have patience. There's that patience word again. 
There's two ways they endured. One was through their dedication. They persevered. When I think about a persevering church, when I think about a church in Scripture that was one that was marked with perseverance and commitment to the gospel and integrity and things that really matter, I think about the church at Thessalonica. In our, in our New Testament, if there is a, quote, model church for us to look at and say, boy, and even though they weren't perfect either, the church at Thessalonica was a church that had a testimony that they were unashamedly declaring the gospel. They were sounding forth the word of God. They had turned to God from idols. See, people get it, get it mixed up. They say, I'm going to turn from idols to God. You don't get that way. You've got to turn to God to get away from your idols. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and go over here and go to church. No, going to church won't make it better. You've got to come to Christ, and then he'll take care of what's messed up. Amen? Yes. But they were a persevering church, and I believe that's the kind of church. Listen, in the 21st century, that's the kind of church that God expects us to be. It's the kind of church our communities need, and it's the only kind of church that will endure what's ahead is those who are persevering to the finish. Not only dedication, but there was a word of determination. That's what he said. He said, not only have I persevered and have patience, but you've labored for my namesake, and you have not become weary. Here's what the scripture says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose. I think back sometimes when I was these guys' age, and I always remembered, you always knew at the end of practice, no matter what you'd gone through, no matter how much energy you'd exerted, you knew at the end of practice there was going to be these several repeated whistles. Beep, 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 beep. And these prophetic words. Everybody on the line. You know what that meant, Marty? We was fixing to run and we puked. Oh, I said puke on church. Huh? Sorry. <laughs> Until we had a stump tummy ache. I got it. <laughs> I told y'all I'm more polished than I used to be, right? They say, all right, lineman on line first. And beep. Our right, backs and ends on the line. Beep. And you just, and, and it seemed like it went on for eternity. And you'd be telling yourself sometimes, I should have saved some energy during offensive fundamentals. I should have backed off a little bit during defense fundamentals. I, maybe during team offense or team defense, maybe during uh, practice for special teams, I should have saved a little bit. That's not a really good way to do it, is it? I didn't do that. I didn't have much to start with, but I, man. But you know, I think that's kind of where the church is sometimes. Everybody's kind of, Saving themselves, saving their energy. And my question is, for what? You know why we did all that at the end? Because nobody cares what the score was at halftime. All that matters is what takes place at the end, and all that matters is sometimes who's in the best shape in the fourth quarter. And can I tell you this, church? We're in the fourth quarter. And I'm not talking about your body mass index. I'm not talking about your all these different letters and BDMIs and all that kind of... I'm talking about your spiritual index. 
I mean, in the fourth quarter, the church better be a praying church. In the fourth quarter, the saints of God better stick together. In the fourth quarter, we better walk with integrity and be above reproach. Because it's the fourth quarter where people are looking and people are wondering and people are searching and we must have the answer and the answer is Jesus Christ. God help us. Oh, I remember the song many years ago. You know it well. On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast a wistful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Oh, I'm bound for the promised land. I'm bound for the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. Church, we need to be carrying that message and carrying that torch of the gospel in this culture and walking in integrity and favor with God. Why? Because we're in the fourth quarter. We have nothing to save ourselves for. We must go all out to the finish. And finally, let me share this with you. I gotta hurry. Not just a word of commendation, but also he gave him a word of criticism, didn't he? <laughs> Ooh. Nevertheless, I never forget I remember taking a math test one time, which was not my strong point. <laughs> not sure I had one, but this certainly wasn't it. And I remember the teacher telling me, he said, Son, you, you did good to start with but somewhere along the line you got twisted up and you forgot what we had learned in class so you missed a lot of problems and I'm going to help you figure out what you did wrong and I'm so thankful <laughs> I still like to say we figured it out I'm not sure I ever did but I remember so well thinking and I thought about how we do sometimes we do okay to start with but we, we've got to finish well not just start well he said, nevertheless, here's, I do have something against you and, and that which I have against you is you've left your first love. I'm going to talk real fast here. What he meant was is that it allowed something that was precious to become familiar. Ladies, listen to me. Let me just, you, brothers, check out for a minute. I'll talk to the ladies. Okay. You remember when you got, those of you who are married, when you got your engagement ring? In my day, we didn't have social media. We had a Polaroid. <laughs> Some of y'all like Polaroid, and we didn't even have that. But I mean, okay, Polaroid. And so the day I gave my precious wife her, her engagement ring, we have a Polaroid of that day. Y'all know that Polaroids don't last forever, right? We're trying everything we can to preserve that. Now someone gets the ring. Boy, they just, I mean, got all these pictures. Man, it's, I mean, getting engaged is a big deal now. I feel so bad. I mean, I was just an old dumb hillbilly, I guess. I'm like, hey, baby, picked you up something today. Hope you like it. She said, what, well, are you going to ask me? I said, ask you what? <laughs> I'm telling you, I was I had no training. I had none. I, I needed help. You guys, y'all got it all down pat. Y'all get on these little boat rides. I mean, you go to these beautiful places. You got your photographer staged over. I mean, y'all are awesome. I mean, it's awesome. Great. You remember when you got that ring, ladies? Oh, wasn't it special? I remember when my daughters got theirs. Oh, my gosh. They thought that was something. 
The only thing Caitlin has found more special than her wedding ring is now her signed jersey by Brody Crow. Right? <laughs> but you remember it was special, precious, and all kinds of And you know what, ladies? I'm sure it still is. But sometimes things lose their luster. Are y'all with me? And it's not just the luster of the gold ring, but sometimes the luster of the relationship. Sometimes it's not as exciting and all that as it used to be. And, you know, and it's like I said, this old boy one time, I said, man, what's going on? He said, preacher, she just ain't no fun no more. And I looked at him, I said, Bubba, how much fun you reckon you are to live with, right? No. No, no, but things lose that were once precious to us become very familiar and when they become familiar they lose that impact on us it's kind of like almost 10 years ago I, I've never bought myself in my adult life but one thing that I bought for fun and that was my four wheeler and it, I've had it nine years and it only has 700 miles on it I need to ride it more but anyhow I remember when I first got it if I got mud on it Marty I went to the car wash Ray, and I got every speck off of it since I've been here, it's been more of a work vehicle. I ain't had it for much fun. It's for work. It's for pulling a trailer around, picking up limbs, all that kind of stuff. And so now I looked at it when I came out of the carport this morning. The Lord spoke to me about this. I looked at it. And I said, man, that thing's dirty. I, I used to wouldn't have allowed this to happen. Something that was precious has become familiar. But something else we've got to realize is sometimes things that are holy become common. It's kind of like the Lord's day. And I want you to hear me. If you have a deep commitment in your heart and your family to be present in the house of the Lord on the Lord's Day, I want you to know that is so important. Don't ever let it be, a, a, you know, some sort of, you know, are we going to church today or not? Maybe, I don't know. Don't, don't ever let it become that way because I'm going to tell you what, whatever you neglect, the next generation will reject. Don't do that. Make the things that are holy, keep them holy. Notice when he talks to him a word of correction, and here's what he said, and I'm almost done. Three things he said you've got to remember from where you drifted. Wow. Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews said this. He said you've got to realize there is a danger of drifting, and you can drift away from the things that you once held to be precious. 1904, there was a 26-year-old preacher named Evan Roberts who lived in Wales. God raised him up to be the leader of the Welsh revival that took place in 1904. And when he stood before that very first prayer meeting to begin that revival service, here's his message. His four-point message was simply this. He said, you've got to confess all known sin to God. He said, you've got to put away any doubtful habits from your life. Thirdly, you've got to obey the Holy Spirit's prompting. And fourthly, you must confess Christ publicly. He preached that message over and over and over throughout that area. Revival spread all throughout the area. Lives were changed. It was amazing what God did. There was no, the judges were out of work. There was no court cases to try. The policemen were laid off. Nobody was committing crimes. They had to even retrain the mules on how to plow because they did not speak to them in profanity anymore I'm telling you revival had took place you know what happened people confessed their sins they done away with doubtful habits they obeyed the Holy Spirit and they confessed Christ publicly we must remember from where we have drifted there's a second thing he said you've got to repent of your sin so you've got to change directions 
You've got to agree with God about your sin. And then thirdly, he said, you've got to return to the basics. What did he say you got to do? He said, you must remember, you must repent, and you must return. Mm. You know what the basics are? To love God, to love your neighbor, to share your story, and to help mature and mentor young believers. Those are the basics. And then I want to finish by telling you about the challenge. Look at verse 5, the last part. He says, if you don't remember and you don't repent, here's what I'll do. I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Two things I want you to get and I'm done. Our survival, your survival, our survival as a church is based on repentance. If we do not repent, we will not continue to thrive. We will not continue to make a difference. You heard me say this. Churches don't die. It's when God's voice in the church dies. But hear me. When God's voice dies in the church, the church ceases to exist. Here's what he said. I will take away your lampstand. That means you will no longer exist as a church unless you repent. And not only is your survival based on your repentance, but notice finally, your standing is based on your response. He talked about the Nicolaitans, and you see those names sometimes, and you go, who's that? Is that that rough bunch from Edwardsville? I mean, who is that? No. <laughs> Y'all know some of them, right? No. This is a group of people from all intents and purposes were people that they loved God but they had a love for God that was manifested in their hatred for evil now don't get me wrong you should never welcome or like evil you should never welcome or like sin it, it must be hated but listen love must be a positive emotion that is not wrapped in legalism here's what he's saying the things they're doing they may even be right things they're the wrong motives and you don't like that and God said I don't either But he said your standing is based on how you respond. Here's what happened. The church at Ephesus had fallen as a whole. They had drifted. They had fallen away and they needed to remember, repent, and return. But John gets real personal with the members. And I want you to look at me real hard. We're done, but listen. He gets real personal with the members. He's not just talking to the church. He's talking to individual members. You know why? Because your salvation in relationship with God is personal. And he reminds us that we are saved one by one. And we must be restored one by one. One person, one family, one Sunday school class, one church as a whole. We must be restored one by one. And here's the question today, and i got to leave you with this. Will you allow God to begin by restoring you? And you know what? The guy or the gal who says, I don't need any restoring, is the person who needs it most. 
Because I want you to know, just as I said last night, or not, I, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that you're not perfect. None of us are. We all need the restoring hand of God, but what we've got to do is allow him to restore us before he can restore our church. Pretty strong stuff in the church. But here's the thing. It's what we need to hear, and it is what we must respond to. Why? Because when he restores the church, it's no longer about me. It's no longer about you. It's no longer about us. It's all about him, and he gets all the glory. He gets all the credit, and communities are changed because churches submit themselves to God and say, God, fix me so we can go make a difference in the world around us. Ephesus was a church that had a lot of good stuff going on. But they stopped allowing the main thing to be the main thing. I've said it all at least the last 20 years. The day we major on majors and stop majoring on minors is the day God will begin to use his local church in ways that will blow our mind. How about you, sir? How about you, ma'am? How are you going to respond today? Are you going to say, Amen. I'm good. I don't need any restoring. Or are you going to be honest with God and say, God, restore me. Restore your church and use us for your glory. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the words that speak so deep in our heart as members of your church, because, Lord, this is your church. We're just privileged to be a part of it. God, today I pray for any one individual, any family, or us as a church, if we've left our first love, may we do the things you've told us to do. May we remember from where we drifted. May we repent of our sin, and may we return to our first love today. May the things of God become precious to us again. May the things that have become common be holy again. And God, may you raise up a generation of people of all ages and all backgrounds. God, that we would be restored and used for your glory. And God, we would make a difference. And we wouldn't fall into all the junk. But God, we would be transformers. We would be agents of change. God, you just do what only you can do right now. Draw your net. Draw people to you. And we'll give you praise. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Let's stand to our feet all across the house. Here's the invitation today. Will you be honest enough with God that you allow him to do a restoring work in your heart today? You do as God bids you do. Marty's going to lead us, and you come as God speaks to your heart. We'll be here to receive you. Be ready, Marty. Let's make this our prayer this morning. I need you, Lord. I need you.
are coming to receive our morning tithes and offerings and I encourage you to be faithful today and also don't forget, I try to mention at least once a month, our uh, Awaken City partners, there are some envelopes in your uh, back pew backs that have the Awaken City logo and um, Harriman, Utah on there and those offerings go directly to our church partners in Utah so make sure you don't forget that as well as uh, your regular tithe to the, to the local church. I really believe, and I've been believing it, and I'm going to keep believing because I believe the Word teaches it, that you give through your church. The tithe is holy unto the Lord, and this is the storehouse. And I really believe that he means what he says. If we'll do what he says, that he would fill our barns up to overflowing and we'd be hunting places to be a blessing. And uh, we do a lot of that now, but I'd sure like to do a lot more. And, I want to tell you I'm grateful for your faithfulness and want to encourage you to continue to be faithful and just trust God because uh, he's doing great things and I believe that he wants to do so much more. That's why I talk to you about these churches because, hey, I'll give you some good news, like I told you. Ephesus is a pretty good church. <laughs> some of them ain't that good, amen? Some of them had a lot worse. Did I say ain't? Sonia's not here. I'm good. Okay, ain't. ain't uh, they're not that good. Anyhow, but they, uh, there's some tough words to the church. And it'd be easy for us to dismiss that and say, I just don't want to deal with that. We don't have a choice because we've been bought with a price. There's no turning back. We've got to deal with it because God has a great work and he's got great people. And he's a great God. And I just want to encourage you to stay faithful. Let's stay faithful to the finish. Let's don't give up in the fourth quarter. Nothing like giving up and having a four-touchdown lead going in the fourth quarter. But I'll tell you what, right now, we, we don't have a lead. We're not protecting a lead. We're, we're playing to, to close out faithful. Amen? So as we give today, let's give from our hearts. Let's join our hearts together. And let's ask God's blessings on our giving. Father, we come before you. As we come before you repenting of our sins, we just thank you for loving us enough yes. to restore us. Father, we just thank you for blessing this church body, for blessing our community, and Lord, just, just blessing each one of us individually. Lord, as we give this morning, we ask that you bless our offering and let us use it in a way that's good stewards of the church, Father, and just that glorifies you and presents the gospel. Lord, we just thank you for all that you've done for us. We just ask you to go with us. Just lead us, guide us, and direct us. Just in the name of the Lord. 
make sure I had the issue <clears throat> disclaimer. Boys, I told you, don't do like I did. Y'all go get the photographers. Y'all get all these fancy proposals because if you do like I did, you probably won't have a wife. Uh, but anyhow, we just didn't know no better and didn't have. But anyhow, I remember my girls, when I knew they were getting engaged, I knew it was coming. And uh, everybody was excited to be there, Ray, but me. They're like, man, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it was it was a secret to everybody, but me, and uh, I couldn't, even, you know, and so it was I couldn't even tell Angie because she was uh, she would she couldn't have held it, you know. She'd have been excited, and uh, for what reason I haven't figured out yet. But anyhow, no, uh, it's all turned out good. But do remember, next Sunday you got a special treat coming. We have our students are going to be leading our service next Sunday. And they're going to be singing and all that kind of stuff. And you as parents and grandparents are going to get to hear a lot about our student ministry, the plans for what's ahead, uh, kind of what know what they're doing on Wednesday nights. They've had a great summer. They've had all sorts of activities and stuff and things like that. They'll be back here this Wednesday at 6. So uh, do remember that. Children's ministry at 6 and our adult Bible study prayer meetings at 6. We're in the fellowship hall now, so don't forget that. Yeah, your students will be in the cave and the, and the children will be up on the third floor. So do remember that. That's coming up uh, this Wednesday. But next Sunday is going to be that special time at 10 o'clock in our morning service. And I look forward to you hearing about what's going on and all that kind of stuff. Keith's got them all tuned up, and perfect key and pitch and all that kind of stuff. And I, but uh, it's going to be a, a great time, and I appreciate all the hard work that goes into our student ministry. appreciate you parents for supporting it, having your young people in there. So it's going to be a great time next Sunday morning during our worship time, okay? Hey, it's been good to be in the Lord's house today, amen? I sure have enjoyed being here with y'all. I really do. And I want you to know when we talk to you about these things that just are tough, not popular, it's because we really do care about you care about your spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity, and us being a church that is open before God and saying, God, work in us and through us. Make us right with you so we can make a difference in our world, all right? And never forget that I love you. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it, all right? Before we stand, I've had some of you guys ask us, Friday morning, 645 is when we start back our football breakfast. It's one of my favorite things I enjoy doing. Some of you guys, hey, I'd like to come help. It's what, what can I do? Will I be in the way? Look here. You guys, that are, if you're available and you want to come help, and you, look, if there's a, just fellowship with us. Get a cup of coffee. Let's, 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 let's make it a good special time because it does those athletes good. There are two guys still standing that cooked for me when I played, and it's Ted and Bobby. Ted and Bobby. They're still hanging in there, all right? The rest of them have gone on into eternity. But look here. They're still hanging in there, so uh, it does them good to see you old guys. <laughs> but anyhow, but now y'all come and we'll have a good time, okay? And I think it's going to be exciting to so do that. Now I don't know the cooking time starts earlier. I usually get here about six. I'm the I am the orange juice pour and cheese distributor, so yeah, that's my job. So I get here a little bit. Some of them get here early. You just check with some of these guys. Steve, what time y'all usually get here? 5.30, yeah, but if you want to be a later like me, sit, coffee drinker, cheese distributor, 6 o'clock, okay? And boys come in 6.45, but it's going to be great, and thank you so much, but I do love you, nothing you can do about it. Let's stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. <clears throat>